Welcome back to Gathering for Good. I'm Geneva Johns, the Operations Director at Women Helping Women Fund, and joining me today is Gemma Rydell-Johnson, the Community Engagement Coordinator at YWCA Spokane. Today we will be talking about the YWCA Spokane and Domestic Violence Action Month. Welcome Gemma, we're so excited to have you. Can you start by introducing yourself and sharing your role at the YWCA? Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's great to be here, my first podcast. So I've been with YWCA Spokane for just over three years now. And as the community engagement coordinator, I do a lot of our community outreach and education. So DV Action Month or DVAM is kind of my wheelhouse. I have been planning our campaign, but throughout the rest of the year, I do trainings for the community. I write educational content for our blogs, do a little social media, all kinds of duties as assigned. Those resources are so popular over at the YWCA. I know whenever we put them in our newsletter, it's always one of the most clicked links Mm -hmm. and people are really hungry for that education. And I like that the YWCA has really moved more upstream to that education piece and making sure the community knows how they can help prevent domestic violence and Mm -hmm. the resources that are out there. I can't even believe how much you all do over there. It's wild. (laughs) Yeah, a range of services and offerings. And we really have embraced this idea of domestic violence being preventable. Yeah. If we can educate the community, educate young folks, have conversations about healthy and unhealthy relationships and boundaries and red flags and just start that conversation so that hopefully we can prevent violence from ever occurring. Yeah. And Spokane's incidents of domestic violence are almost double that of the state. Yeah, Spokane County does have the highest reported rates of domestic violence Mm -hmm. in our state. We have 14.2 incidents per 1,000 compared to the state average of 7.2. So that's nearly double for our county with incidences. I also know in the city of Spokane, about 25% of all violent crime is related to domestic violence. Wow, that is absolutely shocking for sure. I remember one of the the first interactions I had with the YWCA when I started in this position was the method for helping survivors through the process doesn't necessarily mean that they are going to leave the person Mm -hmm. that they're with and that the Y really comes alongside to help them through that process, whatever that looks like for them. Everyone's experience looks different. Everyone's relationships look different. And so there isn't a one size fits all approach to helping someone through that situation. Absolutely. There aren't two experiences that are going to be exactly the same because of the dynamics and the individuals and just different barriers. Uh, And I think it's a really good point to highlight that one thing that I've run into is people in the community think that they have to have left their partner to seek services with us, which as you just mentioned, um, isn't true. You know, they can be at any point in their journey. They can have no plans of leaving and there are still resources and options and ways that we can maybe help them live safer in their current situation. Okay. We serve women, men, non-binary, trans folks, youth as well. Our programs really have this empowerment focus and also a trauma-informed approach. We really look at the individual who's in front of us. We really see what their needs are, what they're asking for. And so it is a very personalized type of relationship, you know, because we know it's not one-size-fits-all solutions. So whether with our mobile housing team, you know, they're truly mobile. They go out in the community, meet folks where they're at to talk about their housing needs or, or crisis or meet with them to help pay back rent or to install a ring camera so that they feel safer in their house, truly mobile in that sense. 
We also have walk-in hours for our DV support advocates. So that's first come, first served on Monday mornings between 9 and 11.15. Um, but then for our regular appointments, we will work with translators. Our civil legal team has worked with non-English speaking folks as they are trying to navigate the legal system, right? Helping with divorces, custodies, parenting plans to legal advocates who are going to advocate for what the individual wants. And I think that that is so powerful because it's not like we are pushing that everyone gets a protection order or, you know, this one solution, quote unquote. We hear the phrase a lot, but meeting people where they're at, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, being able to provide the the most helpful resource that we can that is most direct to the individual. And sometimes it's not us because we have our specialty. You know, we work with survivors of intimate partner domestic violence. But if it is a non-intimate partner issue, we're going to refer to one of our great community partners because that's the primary goal, right, is yeah. for the individual to get the help and support that they are looking for. I'm so blown away always by how much the YWCA <laughs> does, but it is part of a very specific plan to make sure people are taken in and they, they feel comfortable in that community and then being able to provide those resources once you have them in the door. Because I'm sure calling and or walking in is already hard enough and then being able to provide those resources is really important. Right. It makes me think of how an individual may first come to the agency to address one specific thing. You know, they're a, whether they're looking maybe for a housing resource or something specific, and then they're like, oh, like, you also have therapy or, oh, you know, you have our Women's Opportunity Center that has our sister's closet, which is a free clothing boutique of women's clothing. But we also offer an expressive art group Aww. and trauma-informed like yoga and social emotional learning and just all of these opportunities for folks to build community right and yeah. feel supported that might not be in the traditional sense of like what people think of when they think of services yeah. but that more holistic approach that we are talking about and you mentioned you know child care too yeah we have a childcare for when people are accessing our services. So like if we wanted to go to a social emotional learning group and don't have childcare, we can let the front desk know or when we schedule. Okay. And we have a classroom called Safe Haven where the kiddo can be watched you know, safely on site. All of our programs just really have this intentional aspect of trauma-informed. Yeah. You know, we want kiddo to feel safe. Yeah. We want parent or guardian to feel like they can talk to a therapist without holding back or take the time and space that they need to help continue their healing without having their little one in the room. But it's also that therapy piece we mentioned. 70% of clients that complete our therapy program no longer have a PTSD diagnosis oh, wow. yeah. Yeah, by the end of their treatment. That is a very specific form of therapy that we do. We are a short-term trauma processing therapy. Mm -hmm. Folks are usually with us for six to nine months, and we really try to get them that immediate relief from symptoms like PTSD and anxiety, for instance. Yeah. But it's also housing, and it's you know financial support through DSHS helping navigate those systems. We have a free preschool program with ECAP. We do so, so much, yeah. you know. And then everything in the Women's Opportunity Center that I mentioned, yeah. those really rounded, holistic services. Is there any advice you would offer someone who suspects that a friend or family member may be experiencing domestic violence and how they can provide support? Yeah. I mean, one of the first things that I think of is believing an individual mm -hmm. because it's even to have somebody 
share a story of harm, to be that vulnerable takes so much strength and courage. And so not dismissing their concerns, not downplaying it, but validating and really believing the individual and then letting them know that, you know, we are here if they want to talk. You know, we want to support them, asking them how they might want support. Folks can be very well-meaning too, but when we hear something that we perceive as like a problem, we jump into wanting to fix it. Yeah. Survivors are really good at picking up on if somebody's being genuine or not. Mm -hmm. They have to for their safety. You know, they have a really good sense of a person's energy, a person's vibes essentially, and they can tell if we're being inauthentic. They can tell that. And so really meeting folks with true care and compassion and wanting, you know, wanting them to thrive in their life. And we say that survivors are the experts on their own situations, right? They're going to know what's going to keep them safest. They are going to know their relationship and their partner better than we ever will. So we really need to trust them and trust that they're doing their best to keep themselves safe or maybe their kids safe. And what they're seeing as priorities, that's where our priorities should be as well. Um, And so we can ask them what they want instead of assuming things or kind of making decisions for them. Yeah, pushing them to a solution. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because that's probably not helpful. So October is recognized as Domestic Violence Action Month. Can you provide some background on the significance of it and why it's important to raise awareness about domestic violence? Yeah, it actually started, I think it was in 1981, as just a single day kind of of awareness, bringing together advocates, community members, survivors to kind of hold that space. And since then, it's obviously grown to encompass all of October, which I think is a great time to educate the community, right, to have conversations, to host events, to hopefully get people talking about this issue that is just so prevalent across the globe, but also in our own community. What are some common misconceptions or myths about domestic violence that the YWCA and really like our organizations locally believe need to be addressed during this month? Yeah, I mean, so I've been in this kind of education role for three years with the agency. Mm -hmm. And the biggest myth that I run into is people thinking that drugs and alcohol use can cause domestic violence. Mm -hmm. I do a true false quiz when I do my trainings. And that's one that 50% of all attendees get wrong. Really? um, Consistently. And I've asked over 2,000 people that have question. When they think about it, they are a little like, hmm, they're recognizing that maybe the word cause is kind of like the tricky part, okay. which it definitely is. So I educate the community that drugs and alcohol can make a situation potentially more volatile, mm-hmm. potentially more lethal and dangerous. But at the end of the day, what is causing the violence is going to be the person that's committing the violence. Yeah. And that drugs and alcohol being present or even consumed, like they're not causing the violence. Right. It's still a person's responsibility for their actions, essentially, in that accountability piece. Absolutely. So along with that, what are some of the key goals and objectives that the YWCA aims to achieve during Domestic Violence Action Month? Yeah, there's quite a few different things that we're doing this year. So in October, we're raising awareness, right? We're having these events. We are working with the Downtown Partnership to have buildings light up purple, have purple banners on light poles downtown. And that's great for creating momentum. And then my big hope is that people join us in November 
for trainings. Okay. So during the first two weeks of November, I have different online trainings for people. These are free, available to anyone in the community. You just have to register for it so you get that Zoom link. And so we have two different training options. We have Domestic Violence 101, Recognize, Respond, Refer. And that really goes into setting that foundation. So it's learning what is domestic violence? What are the warning signs? It's how can I support a survivor? What are some things I should keep in mind? Some conversation starters. And then lastly, it dives into some of our services. And I go over quite a range of our services to give people that understanding of the different ways that we can be there to help and support. So that's the foundational 101. Mm -hmm. And then domestic violence 201 is learning and action. So that one is really kind of diving into the weeds a little bit more. It's a more interactive training. We will talk about unique barriers. We'll talk about different communities and the barriers that they may experience. And then we also discuss different scenarios and talk about what tactics might be prevalent here? Or how would you support this person? What could you say? How might it be received? And then I also finish up with just a little bit of information about the legal protections and okay. rights that survivors have. And I one time had an attendee from that who immediately emailed me and said that she learned in that training the tenant's rights for a survivor oh. and had gotten a call from somebody she was working with who was asking about if she could break her lease because of DV. Interesting. And because of the training, the individual knew what website to refer her to and what information and rights that the survivor actually had. So just a really immediate utilization of that information. Yeah, absolutely. How can individuals, communities, and organizations get involved and support the YWCA's efforts during this action month? Yeah, I actually have on our website an action kit that I built. So it's on the website. You can also download it as a PDF. And it includes facts. It includes social media templates you can use, graphics, fact graphics, posters, flyers, (laughs) all kinds of materials that an individual or an organization can share, can print out, put in their window. Purple is also recognized as the DV awareness color. Mm -hmm. So that's why we are lighting up downtown purple. It's really cool if you're downtown after dark to see so many buildings light up purple. I've talked to some of my coworkers too, and it just fills us with like this, like that's for us. And that's for all of those in our community who maybe navigating different things with their partners or their relationships or dynamics. Yeah, absolutely. Are there any specific events, campaigns, or initiatives that the YWCA has planned for DVAM that you'd like to highlight? Yes, actually. Perfect. Um, On Thursday, October 5th, we are hosting a screening of the documentary A Better Man at the Magic Lantern Theater. We will be having a kind of debrief discussion after the screening. So the movie starts at 6 p.m. It'll run until about 7.30, and then we'll have a quick debrief until 8. The documentary, really, what it's about is two individuals who, in their early 20s, late teen years, were together, and their relationship was violent. And it's been 20 years later. And now they are coming back together for a conversation about what happened with their relationship. And it is really powerful. I just did kind of a preview screening of it. And super awkward, too, at times as these individuals are trying to navigate a way forward. And what can healing and justice look like? How are the individuals defining it? What does it mean to the survivor 
to have the person that harmed them in the past now be in front of them and you know things are so different right it's yeah been 20 years since they were together yeah wow is it free to attend it is. Oh, perfect. <laughs> we are asking people to RSVP in advance on our website. We have another event on October 18th. It is our Pathways Forward. So we started Pathways Forward, I think in 2020, actually, as a virtual kind of roundtable discussion with different experts in our community and the YDEB staff member to talk about how these issues are affecting our clients and survivors specifically. The conversation is actually going to be on digital abuse and domestic violence. Technology has advanced so much within the last few decades so have the means of digital abuse Mm -hmm. and so many of those tactics that we might commonly think of being associated with dv could also be perpetrated through digital means through technology and so on the 18th i will actually be moderating that conversation wonderful and i will be joined by chandler dean our housing outreach manager who has been working with survivors for i think over eight years now wow and so just even in her time working with survivors how have those tactics changed what does she see most commonly impacting them as they are navigating these technology issues and then emily st pierre who is with future ada Mm -hmm. and so giving kind of a broader perspective too about what people can do to help sure up their online security and how can we help communities and individuals be safer online essentially. It is crazy how far that technology has come and faster than humans can keep up with it. And so being able to talk about that will be really important and and a good conversation. In addition to raising awareness, what steps can our community take to prevent domestic violence from occurring in the first place? Yeah, I mean, that's that can be a whole other podcast. Too oh, I know, well. right? <laughs> it makes me think of attending a training, right, mm-hmm. that we talked about earlier, but also having conversations with folks. And this could be checking in on that friend, right? Asking them if there's any support that they need or being, I don't know, it's this idea of building community, right? Building yeah. a network of um, supporters, essentially. And it also makes me think of our prevention work that we do with young folks. February is recognized as Teen Dating Violence Awareness Month. We know that one in three adolescents is going to experience dating abuse, and only a third of those who experience it go on to tell a trusted adult. And so it's talking to youth about this, taking them seriously about any concerns that they have, and really normalizing the conversation, I think, because domestic violence has still a real kind of taboo nature about it. There is so much stigma around identifying as a survivor, around needing help, around, you know, having to seek services. There's so much shame still attached to it. And so by having the conversation, maybe we can help normalize it, that this is something that one in three women in our community will experience. And how can we be more trauma-informed when we talk to folks and normalize that conversation so that if somebody in our life has been um, experiencing these things and they see us being open about this conversation and wanting to help, maybe then they'll see us as a supportive person in their life. Along with checking in and doing those things to make sure that people are okay right now, it's also making sure that children and families and caregivers are equipped with the tools that they need Mm -hmm. to be able to make sure that we're all developing healthy relationships, that we're taking care of ourselves. It makes me think of in our ECAP, we 
have this philosophy that the child does better when the whole family does better. When the whole family as a unit is thriving, has access, has stable housing, has transportation, has diverse foods, all of these things, we know that can build a healthier child by building a healthier community. I think about our prevention team. One of the schools that we are partnered with is Rogers High School. Mm -hmm. And it's going into their health classes and having those intentional conversations each week about healthy relationships and what could it look like and have you experienced it and what is toxic behavior versus a normal reaction to an abnormal situation. That was beautifully said. That's what I was trying to get to. (laughs) It was more of like making sure making sure that we're supporting youth and caregivers and those disadvantaged in our community to while we do need to address the problem that's happening currently also making sure that we're going upstream to prevent a lot of these things from occurring in the first place mm-hmm. which is why I love the training that you are doing and a lot of the resources that the Y has to be able to really help create that upstream solution before Mm -hmm. it becomes a problem later. Right. Instead of just reacting. Yeah, Um, exactly. So we have Domestic Violence Action Month, which is so important. But I know a lot of people want to be able to support the WISE efforts just beyond this month. How are they able to do that? Yeah. I think getting connected with our newsletter, getting on our email list is a great way to stay up to date about our programs, what our needs are currently. Mm -hmm. Every other month or so, we have a special request for items for our sister's closet, things that people might not typically donate, like new bottles of shampoo and conditioner, Mm -hmm. for instance, or deodorant, or, you know, those items that you won't necessarily get when somebody's cleaning out their closet. Sometimes it's more of a urgent ask and we're trying to fill a position at our ECAP or we're trying to get this very particular need met and being able to communicate with our supporters is so valuable. Our blog online is honestly also a great way to learn about what we're doing, what we're up to and the impacts that we're having out there, like I mentioned, those monthly blog posts that I do mm-hmm. are a great way to kind of see how our services are unique, but also how they are impacting clients. Yeah, absolutely. And then the trainings that you do. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if anyone noticed, but those are all free things that you can do <laughs> to support. So along with obviously donating, that's huge and very helpful. But yeah, reading the blog subscribing to the newsletter, following on social, doing all those things is a really great way to support any local nonprofit Mm -hmm. and just making sure to, uh, as we talked about before, being able to refer to the why and knowing what the why offers. We like to recommend that everyone take a moment to put our helpline in their phone, you know, saving that contact. Our, um, 24-hour confidential helpline is 509-326-2255. I like to tell people that you don't have to identify as the victim or survivor to call that line as Mm -hmm. well. If you are a community member, a concerned friend or family member, you have questions about supporting folks in your life or services, anything like that, you could also call that helpline if you're needing to unpack a story of harm that you just heard as well, you know, that helpline is a great community resource. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for sharing that. As people participate in Domestic Violence Action Month, are there any other nonprofit organizations that you just know off the top of your head, because I sprung this question on you, that people can support? There's quite a few of them. You know, I think of events that I'm doing in 
um, collaboration with Stop the Silence, and they have quite a few different events this month that folks can go and support. Everything from a pop-up pancake feed early this month to a fashion show gala to a concert. And they're a great partner as they really try to raise awareness in the community, and then they give proceeds that they raise to different organizations like YWCA Spokane, the Spokane Regional Domestic Violence Coalition. Absolutely. And they have their Purple for a Purpose happening yes. this month with a lot of different business organizations and restaurants creating purple beverages primarily. Mm-hmm. Um, those proceeds also go to help support the coalition and support the work that they do. Also, Lutheran Community Services Northwest yep. supports survivors in a broader way than just domestic violence from intimate partners. Muharis in Action supports survivors in the Latinx community. We have so many fantastic nonprofits in our community all working together on these bigger community issues. Yeah, absolutely. SRDBC has a really great list of community partners too. So definitely a good place to go if you're really looking to see what else is out there and the ways you can support all of our great nonprofits that Mm -hmm. support domestic violence survivors. I'm going to ask you a question that I love, and it is putting you on the spot a little bit. What excites you the most about the work that you do, and what keeps you up at night? Mm, That is a great question. (sighs) What excites me? I, hmm, so going to back up, going to share a small personal aside. I was a very talkative child. My mother used to tell me, oh, if only you could get paid to talk. (laughs) Well, mom, here I am on a podcast. Um, And so the part of my job that I love is the community trainings, honestly. Mm -hmm. I love connecting with individuals out in our community or going and training an organization's team, helping people have those like light bulb aha moments, right? Helping them understand something that maybe they didn't before. Um, I don't know, it's really rewarding to me when people tell me like, oh, I didn't know that or, oh, I had this kind of assumption, but it was great to have that clarified. This work is very big in a sense. Yeah. YWCA's mission is eliminating racism, empowering women. Yeah, that's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, that's pretty, it's big. I think sometimes it can seem, like I said, daunting, but when I connect with different community members, when they learn about a service that they didn't know we had before, it makes me very hopeful that they're going to tell somebody else and that person's going to tell somebody else. And maybe somebody is going to get connected with us and get some help and support. Yeah, absolutely. And what are the things that keep you up at night? Oh my. Well, I mean, there is the piece about there's always work to be done. There's not enough time in the day to do the work. Being in any social service line of work, there is this burnout and vicarious trauma is definitely a real part of the job. Absolutely. And so it's hard sometimes to, to turn it off, right? Yeah. I work a hybrid schedule. I love working from home half of the time, but it is harder sometimes to like shut the laptop, walk yeah. away. Yeah. I can find myself, you know, like, oh, just one more email, just <laughs> one more thing. When you're in this work, everyone's on their own journey of finding those things that help refill your cup, yeah. right? Help you be able to keep doing this work and not get burnt out because yeah. you can't go out there and help others if you are needing still a lot of recharging and help yourself. It's a it's a big problem in mm-hmm. especially direct service nonprofits. That burnout is so real. So I would encourage 
if anyone wants to help solve some of these issues, find something that you're passionate about and go volunteer, go help lighten that burden for direct service providers and people who do that day in, day out because they really do need the help. So yeah, volunteer your time, help a nonprofit. I highly recommend it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Gemma, thank you so, so, so much for coming on the podcast and talking about this really impactful month. So excited for everything the Y has planned. It sounds like a packed month. It sounds like you're going to be very busy. Yes. Yes. (laughs) And I, again, will link everything down in the show notes. If you're interested in getting involved, taking action. We'll just have a little bit of everything and we'll definitely link to the wise page. Thank you so much for joining this episode of Gathering for Good. We'll be back next month with a new episode with a local nonprofit and we can't wait to chat with you then.